Yangyo, 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 Yangyo. I think Park Yangyo. Let me look. Is it, it written in English? Yes. I, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. Just, I mean, I might not have the best pronunciation. Hello, and welcome to the Talking Threads podcast, where we talk about costume design and probably go on a lot of tangents. We don't know yet because we haven't edited any of our episodes, but we will soon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My name is Gwen Conaway, and the uh, title that I right now have on my website is Costume Designer, Consultant, and Illustrator, but I'm also a costume simulation specialist for 3D. Mm And I'm Jesse Kate Bowie. I am, as my website also defines me, <laughs> a design mentor, writer, and designer. Um, I specialize in using personality psychology in story and design. Yeah. And we look at our websites because we can never remember what all of our titles are. <laughs> when you so we have to see what we market ourselves as. When you specialize, um, you evolve. When you specialize, you have a lot of titles because yeah. the general titles just don't don't help. Yeah, they're not as descriptive. It's no. not as accurate. Yeah. But yeah, welcome mm-hmm. back to uh, episode two. Shall we go for it? Yeah, so we are looking at uh, Parasite, which has swept the Western world. Much to our delight. <laughs> it's from 2019. It was written and directed by Bong Joon-ho. And the costume designer, which in Korean, if you didn't know this, they actually say costume director. I like that. I'm going to change like my website. Too, right? <laughs> Again. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gwen Conaway, and my website actually now says costume director. Um, uh, and the costume director for this film is Choi Se-young who is also the designer for Okja. Um, yeah, so uh, this one is um, full, in full disclosure, uh. <laughs> uh, um, we, we are a little bit closer to Korean film than other things, so probably a lot of our international films and things that we look at, you know, I, I bet that probably half of them will be Korean. Yeah. Because I actually went to Yonsei University, in college and my husband was my wonderful lovable souvenir <laughs> from from Korea so we speak a lot of Korean at home and then Jesse Kate also spent time there that's actually how we met is we got super yeah. excited about Korean yeah um, and costume design at the t- same time and we went what when we met each other the first time I think we talked for like three hours it was, it was crazy when you're when you're specializing in something already it's hard to find people that you yeah. can you know connect with or get feedback from you want it, that kind of point of view and it was just layer upon layer of oh wait you do that too that too and that too and it was crazy yeah. um and on top of it my husband is a huge huge cinephile mm-hmm. like he downloads the list from every film festival he can find online and then he watches all of them i bet he probably watches mm, five to seven hundred films a year 
Yeah, he's a huge cinephile. And then your husband actually works in animation. Yeah. So we are fully entrenched in, right. in this world. Right. Um, and yeah, so this is going to be an interesting one because we have some like kind of um, outsider yet familiar with the culture observations that maybe a lot of other um, English analysis of the film will not have. And I was able to find an interview with the costume designer written in Korea, and there isn't anything in English. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the story? Sure. And as always, this is just spoilers. I tried to give it a little bit of synopsis mystery. Spoilers, spoilers, But we're not holding back throughout the episode. Nope. Um, so this story follows a poor family that's surviving in their simple sub-basement life by taking odd jobs. Uh, when one of them is offered the chance to work for a wealthy family, it sets off a long-term plan to swindle them into hiring all f- members of their family. The story follows their well-laid plans to replace every competing member of the family staff and worm their way into the rich family's favor. But when victory is in sight, a dark secret is revealed that will push them physically and mentally. Showing us just how far they will go to maintain their deception. <laughs> so as we talk about this, obviously that all of those lies and deceptions will be revealed. Um, but yeah, I really, really was impressed by this film. Oh, I mean, who wasn't? Watching you know? it again was just more layers to read into it. And it even, it you know, uh, so... There has been um, information available about the production design, especially the design of the house um, that most of the film takes place in. Right. right. So there's been information on that. Obviously, Bong Joon-ho has sort of proliferated Mm -hmm. um, the kind of cinephile world and, you know, what everybody is talking about in podcasts and and thinking about his point of view when creating the story. Because right. he's the writer and director. Yeah, he's been very open with expressing and yeah. you know, sharing a lot of this. Yeah, and he's done a lot of interviews, and people have really tried to get into his point of view because the cinematography and the production design of this film are really so intrinsic to the story. Mm-hmm. And then by comparison, when you look at the costume design, um, it, it falls away almost completely. But actually, when you think about it, it was by design that it did that. Um, it was on purpose to make the costume designs rather subtle mm-hmm. uh, compared to the the sweeping strokes of the rest of the film. Right. And there are a lot of things that are sort of intrinsically understood by the Korean audience in terms of the clothing that are not necessarily understood on an international audience. So we'll talk a little bit about that too. Um, and, you know, even, I, like I had a hard, like we both talked about this when we yeah. first got together this morning. Like, it was actually very difficult to parse out exactly what is going on in this costume design because it is so subtle. Um, and the changes that happen are really, really tied to the culture, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so as an international audience goer, it's very difficult to figure out exactly why, like we know that the lower class is the lower class and the upper class is the upper class, right? right like there's right. no contest there. Right. But the palette is so tight. The use of pattern is so tight. Most things are um, flat textiles, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're color block and very neutral tone and everything. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't feel like there are a lot of things to look at except for the, um, the upper class wife, Pak Young-kyo. If we look at her clothing... Um, we see some design things, and that's what people latch on to, because, in part because she's upper class, 
right? And we know that her clothing was all custom made for her, just like it was for her husband, which would be um, Pak Dongik, the CEO. Mm-hmm. So we know that those things were custom made. So, of course, that's what people attach to, you know, when they're watching the film, they say, oh, those costumes. Yeah. But they kind of, um, I think that the subtlety of the lower the lower class, the Kim families. Yeah. Um, costumes are really, really fascinating once you actually start to understand um, the dynamic of the culture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and how class works there. Right. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, man, <laughs> just go, just see it. <laughs> like at this point, right. already even within six months of it coming out, you know, it it has left such a mark on film and cinema in general. That this is going to be one of those films that's it's it's a masterpiece. Like yeah. you can you can feel it, smell it, see it. It's all there. Yeah, you know, it's just amazing. And you know, as subtle as the costumes are, we actually have an opening shot mm. that specifically shows costumes. Right, right, right. So we know that this is part of them, and they talk constantly about the smell mm-hmm. of people, and and we see Mr. Kim always you know, lifting his shirt up and smelling his shirt, trying to figure out what makes him smell different right? from the from his employers. Yeah, is it our soap? What's going exactly. on? Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so so costume is a huge part of the character. Um, but especially in this opening moment, it really sets the scene for costume. And that is that we see um, socks hanging from a drawing rack. <laughs> right. And... All of them are this kind of dirty, dingy. yeah, they're this yeah. dingy color, and they're supposed to be white, and you know that they're clean. Like you said this morning, yeah. Jesse Kate put this so perfectly. Yeah. You know that they're clean, yeah. but they're still dingy and look dirty. And the only piece of text we see in that opening shot is on the top of a sock, mm-hmm. and it says basics. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So all of these people are living with the absolute basics to right. survive. That was so powerful to me in that moment seeing that no matter how hard these people try it, you can't you can't start over you can't become those perfect high-end yeah. socks you're always going to be the basic sock you can clean yourself and clean yourself and use different soap but the semi-basement smell mm-hmm. will stick and so will the grime right Right. Like the having to go through the subways and having to be rained on and have like all of those things that really make soul different depending on what your class is. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's it's the same thing with New York, like really any city or Tokyo, like Mm -hmm. any city that has really good public transportation. There's definitely a difference in how people there there probably is a difference in how people smell and how um, how their clothing gets dirty and and right. maintains that level of grime yeah. depending on how much they use public transportation and how much they can mm-hmm. rotate their clothing right. it's absolutely true that that you know cuz that permeates and it stains you know the your closet like it stains right. your stuff right. um, to constantly have uh, to have that exposure right and so even even the mother um, she says uh, in the film that she hasn't been on a subway in ages. Right. You know, yeah. They may make a remember. point of it. Yeah. 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 And that's that's a real thing. Hmm? 
going from that, that moment where they're talking about the smell and we're kind of noticing it, that was another standout moment that helped me start to notice the costumes. Like I was mentioning to you that that the moment they start talking about the smell and they say, oh, it's the subway smell and that's what it mm-hmm. is, um, you see they're hiding under the table. This whole family is hiding under the living room table yeah. while this conversation is going on, you know, parasitically. Yeah. And you see the father lift up his shirt to his nose to smell it, to try to figure out what is it? What are they talking about? Is yeah. the, what is the smell? And in that moment, the, the, the shot is so tight mm-hmm. on his face and on that little piece of fabric that you're seeing yeah. that what I feel like, I feel like this happens throughout the film. When costume really stands out, it's brought up. Yes. It's pointed yes. out in some way. Exactly. Like yeah. every everything in this film, including that, including mm-hmm. the frame, like everything about this film, when it's brought up, that's when it comes into importance. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So every time we see the costumes really shine, it's when they need to shine. And every time we see the production design shine, it's because it needs to shine. Right. Mm-hmm. And so so there's this really lovely harmony between all of the design aspects and the performance mm-hmm. um, that. It just feels like it's it's a natural um, a natural combination for all of these bits and parts, a natural collaboration mm-hmm. between, rather than something that feels overly designed or forced, mm-hmm. which is part of what makes it so hard to look at these costumes right. and parse out exactly what's going on. Yeah. So, um, so a couple of things uh, that I want to um, bring up first, sure. Uh, before we start talking about like our iconic costumes, yeah. yeah. Because I'm I'm curious to know what yours are, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so so a couple of things about Korean uh, clothing culture. There's this real sense. Just I think it's very similar here in this aspect. Like Korea tends to be a little bit more Westernized in terms of their fashion choices and reasons than other parts of Asia. But um, part of what's going on with the family is that at first we see them lounging in their home. And they're wearing these sort of disparate uh, combinations, you know, this like sort of minty green that was definitely like to me, knowing what the markets, the, the clothing markets and like um, which is, you know, the fabric market and stuff. So knowing what those things look like when you're actually in Seoul, since I go there every year for work, um, I recognize their clothing is all being clothing that you can actually buy in stalls on the streets. And so I wonder if the costume designer didn't go out and do specifically that, go and purchase their costumes for in their home uh, on the streets in Korea. Mm. And if you, if you have ever been there, there are a couple of really important places for being able to do this. So Dongdaemun, which is the Eastern gate uh, area of Korea is, or of Seoul is where there are these skyscraper bazaars where you can haggle prices, although that's kind of going away, but you can haggle prices with direct-to-consumer sellers. Right, right. I mean, I was there like, oh, God, it was probably 10 years ago now, but like that was there. Yeah, Yeah. and it's continued to be there. It's like Miliore and Duta and, you know, all these other places. So while you're there, they're also uh, nearby. There's a, a road where basically you can you can buy all of these things wholesale, mm-hmm. and and that's directly on the street. And almost no foreigners know about that particular place. It's just a place where the um, where people who are in the industry and fashion industries and everything go there first right. in order to purchase things. And then next to that also is the Dongdaemun Chungapshijang, which is the central market, mm-hmm. and that's essentially 
four football fields by six or eight stories of all fabric and notions, buttons, that sort of thing. Like all these materials to make clothing and upholstery and, you know, soft goods with. And so there's just this huge, huge culture of clothing being available in a very tight space in Dongdaemun of all levels of fashion. Because then you can also go to these incredibly expensive boutiques um, that are in the skyscraper next door, you know. And so so this sort of like buying fashion on the street, um, buying it wholesale, a lot of things are tested for the market there. So they'll make cheap knockoffs of a Chanel suit and see how well it does. And then if it does well, then a, a brand might buy it up and start having it manufactured for real. Like there's a lot of that sort of experimentation in Korea, especially in Seoul. And so the family feels like they're wearing that at the beginning. And then you see the son who we can we can call him Kevin. Um, So the son, uh, Kevin, he goes to have his interview and you see that he actually does own a pair of perfectly white shoes and he does have a perfectly white T-shirt and he does have a suit. And suddenly your your impression of him changes quite a lot. Like they don't feel exactly like insects being literally fumigated right right in their house um and part of this is what my husband and i call the prius of fashion yeah yeah and it's it's a conscious choice in korea for um especially you know people that are students or young professionals trying to get jobs Mm -hmm. that they they dress more upper class by getting rid of pattern by wearing volume and line which is what the designer in this talks about a little bit later um and, and these, these sort of plain uh, fibers to make themselves look as if they're classless, like they don't have an economic class. Right. Um, but at the same time, what they're wearing is often going to be a synthetic or polyester blend right. by comparison to the upper class, which would have, you know, beautifully worsted wools and silks right. and everything else. Yeah. And so, so the way that they sit on the body is different. That's really the only indicator you have that they're of different... Um, different classes you know the worsted wool is very very um, buttery on the upper class whereas the working class their polyester blend suit might look exactly the same but the fabric is going to stack a little bit more stiffly Um, so that's something that that we see happening with the relationship between the the working class family the kim family Mm -hmm. and the park family the upper class family is that the Kim family is trying to portray themselves as having no class necessarily right. to to firmly put themselves out of that um, sort of cockroach. Um, right. It, it gives them know. a mobility. Exactly. It yeah. gives them it gives them economic mobility mm-hmm. um, to look that way. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we call it the Prius. Right. Because right. you could have a millionaire driving a Prius, you know, right. five years ago, a millionaire might have driven a Prius. But also a student that just got their first job could have, you know, been also riding or driving a Prius. Right. Right. So so that's something that's really important to pay attention to mm-hmm. in the film, because it's, it's a very Korean way of responding to class mm-hmm. and to economic situations. Mm-hmm. Um always putting your best foot forward in public yeah right? yeah it's also it's also something I see in in two different aspects I see it in the the desire to have worth right mm-hmm. so when you have a desire to have worth and you want other people to recognize your worth you 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 create yourself as a product yeah 
and it is like the Prius. You aren't just there's the personality is set aside. Yeah. To create that ability to be mobile in their worth or to uh, be capable for anything that comes along. Exactly. Right. And so it's this blend of deceit and greed that is kind of calculating Mm -hmm. this minimalist yeah clean persona but at the same time you you talk about deceit and greed but at the same time um so korea is the last like truly confucius mm-hmm. uh culture in the world is actually considered a unesco world heritage culture because of it mm-hmm. and so there's this real emphasis on modesty mm-hmm. and um you know, reservation, like emotional reservation. Right, right, right. And so when we see people getting rid of brand names in order to dress in an, in a mobile way right. um, or to uh, wear these voluminous shapes right. and so on and so forth, it's it's even considered like a, a fashionable way of showing your piety and feel, fealty. There we go. <laughs> your <laughs> right. fealty. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, like to your family, for example. It's part of saying, you know, how you judge me when I'm not dressed this way mm-hmm. is as somebody who is lower class and cockroach-like, right. right? Where I where I um, take advantage of all these things that you've paid for, but you think that I haven't worked for and earned. Right. But when I am wearing this stuff, you assume a sort of modicum of modesty and morality, mm-hmm. right? This clean slate right. of a person. Right. That I that yeah. I'm not in my private places. Mm. Right. That's that's a very Korean it's the, thing. It's the flip side of it. And yeah. I think I think that's really that's really notable to say because like even when we look at these characters, and I think this is why Parasite is an, another level of mastery. Yeah. Is that you don't have villainous parasites. No, and not at all. good people who are being host of this parasite. Mm-mm. Everybody is both sides of the coin, right? Yeah, exactly. And so it's never just greed, never it's just deceit. It is elements of modesty or or temperance. Yes, detachment, temperance. Right? Yeah, and the idea of um, your private persona being different from your public persona. Mm-hmm. And that that's something I, I went I also went to high school in Japan mm-hmm. in Hiroshima mm-hmm. and part of um, what was difficult for me to come to grips with was the idea that your public persona should be different from your private persona. Right. So the idea of Giannis, or um, I don't know if in English you say Janus or not, the, oh, the two-faced god. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Janus is um, kind of considered a good thing, actually, mm-hmm. the idea that your public persona is this clean slate, and then you in your private space shouldn't be judged mm. for who you are, but also shouldn't necessarily be seen or displayed. Which right. is very different from the American point of view, right? Right. That there should be some kind of cohesion. You're not yeah. authentic. Exactly. If you create that image. I, exactly. I actually had conversations with other Westerners about that concept of, of a presentational self. Mm-hmm. Um, similar when you're talking about careers or mm-hmm. you're talking about your business card, right? Or you're, yeah. or you're wearing a different type of outfit than you normally would wear to an expo or a business yeah. interview. And that that isn't necessarily inauthentic, in every mm-hmm. situation. To me, I see that as respecting the effort you require mm-hmm. of others to get to know you in that social situation. Yeah. And when you are eccentric in bringing your home life to the surface, you're saying, okay, you do all the heavy lifting to figure out to deal with me, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's a lot of effort. That's a lot of extroversion you're requiring of someone yeah. that doesn't necessarily suit that more holistic, quieter 
Eastern philosophy yeah. situation. Yeah. So it's just it's just a difference that we see being um, we see being portrayed in the film, like the mm-hmm. idea of a public and a private self being separate. Right. Um, that we wouldn't necessarily see in Western design. Yeah. Right. Particularly American design, I think mm-hmm. we wouldn't necessarily see that. And when, um, for example, my husband, who is Korean, he yeah. comes home from work and then he immediately changes his clothes. Right. It doesn't matter if we're going out later that night or or yeah. anything like that. He yeah. immediately changes from his work clothes because it's a it's almost like compartmentalizing mm-hmm. the two bits of himself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've found more and more that I do that as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's definitely something to think about with these characters is that idea right. of they're not necessarily being deceitful when they go out for that job. I mean, actually, they are doing the work, right? Yeah, we were talking about that because that was something that really stuck with me as I was watching this. And I think the tone of this is set when you these early shots reveal the Olympic medalist mother. Yes. And that this person is highly capable. Right. Yeah. And you see these moments where driver Kim is is making a turn and it's is beautifully done and the coffee doesn't get disturbed or, you know, the son and the daughter, definitely Kevin and Jessica in their English terms. Right. Mm -hmm. They're definitely able to uh, smooth through some opportunities. They don't have to bring as much. But the son has taken the test numerous times, is well practiced and versed in the subject. Yeah. And Jessica herself does understand how to use Photoshop, is savvy to art. And she also, she went and did research. I yeah, mean, she right. she plays it down. She says, you know, I did like oh, 20 I minutes Googled of research. It, right? Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. that doesn't that doesn't mean that the knowledge that she has and how she's using it isn't good. And right. on top of that, other art uh, therapists had not been able to control Dasong, the, the young son. Right. Um, but she was able to control him and put him in a controlled space. And mm-hmm. like that's that's like 85 percent of the battle this, when you're doing that. Yeah. Kind of thing. He's this erratic child. Yeah. He's hard to handle. And he's immediately obedient from the very first time she exactly. Teaches. Yeah. And so so even even if she, you know, downplays, oh, I only did 20 minutes of Google and figured it out right. or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, all of these people are still doing the work. Mm-hmm. It's just that how they came by the work isn't isn't honest. Exactly. Right? And that's that's where you start to see this. Like, okay, are they wearing the costume to trick you? Yeah. Or into to believing that they're capable of something that they're not? Or are they wearing the costume to trick you into hiring them because they exactly. are capable, but you would have not hired you them wouldn't otherwise. Have hired them. Right. Exactly. So so it's a really it's a really interesting thing of of like the working class Korean person being pitted against each other. Mm-hmm. Korea has had a huge problem with unemployment, mm-hmm. um, especially of young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, several of my friends spent you know two or three years trying to get a job in their own career path, or even even not in their own career path, like trying to find a job in Seoul is really, really tough. And the the minimum wage in Seoul is far lower than the U.S., if you can imagine, um, in part because families live together for so long, usually until the children get married, which right, is different the, from here. The expectation of combined income exactly. in that household is, is a little different. Yeah. But um, so so there are some serious tensions uh, on the especially working class youth to try and find work right now. And it's been it's been a major issue for them for, you know, as long as I mean, 
I've been working in and out of Korea for for 12 years now. I went to school 12 years ago there, and then I um, have been working there every year ever since. So as long as I've been there and involved, it's been true. Um, and it's just gotten worse, you know. So, so here are some things that I think are uh, really exciting um, uh, in terms of like iconic things. Should yeah, we yeah. should we talk about let's iconic go, things? Let's dive in. Okay. So the obvious to talk about is Pak Yeongyo, which is the um, upper class mother, mm. right? And the interview that I found with Choi Seon, uh, the costume designer, talked a lot about both she and. Pak Dongik, who are the um, the upper class couple, the CEO and his wife, and so I just want to like, um, you know, put some of her thoughts and some of Bong Juno's thoughts out there first before we right. really get into it. Yeah. So one of the like instant reactions people have to having a story about class, which is you know the lower class versus the upper class, is kind of showing the upper class from the point of view of the lower class, where we get this kind of loud wealth. Right. You mm-hmm. think of like crazy rich Asians, I think, is an example of this mm-hmm. where you get this um, this really vibrant, very sort almost eclectic, artistic. Right. Um, Every vision. piece is this art piece of all exactly. art piece by that fashion designer. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And Bong Joon-ho specifically, when he talked to Choi Se-yeon about the design, mm-hmm. said that he wanted um, elegance and simplicity for them that he thought that that was important yeah. for the film um, because everything else like the we we see everybody's behavior as being acceptable and and um, kind and rather gentle until it's not right, right. And, but then they return to it it's not like yeah. it's not like then suddenly they're the antagonist and they stay the antagonist mm-hmm. is that they have these moments these private moments of mm-hmm greed or of selfishness and then when you see them again and and they know they're being watched or they know they're interacting with someone then they're kind again Mm -hmm. right so so it wasn't it wasn't about this loud behavior and therefore it shouldn't be about loud clothing either and so Choi Se-yeon took that and kind of uh, um, uh, particularly with the CEO um, with Dongik he he was designed to not be overly sleek Mm-hmm. Um, he wears his clothing much more casually, and he wears a lot of separates. So, you know, a dark blazer with cognac or tobacco color pants or trousers, that kind of thing. It's just very, it's very easy. It's like a natural charisma to him. Mm-hmm. But all of his clothing was made with incredibly expensive, high-quality fabrics. Right. And so it's that idea. I mean, like, you know, you, you say it here, too, or we see it here, too. If you were to um, <laughs> don't. Don't do this. <laughs> but if you were to go up to like a, a Silicon Valley CEO or yeah. to a celebrity and you yeah. were to go touch their clothes, which I don't suggest you actually do. <laughs> I do because I'm horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you if you like walk up to them and just start petting them, you'll yeah. notice that their fabrics are drastically different from yours, even right. if they look the same. Right. right? And so that's kind of what they were invoking with the CEO. And then with the with his wife, with um, Yeongyo, they really wanted to show her as being simple mm-hmm. and um, a 
not simple. Well, kind of simple. Well, but they, mostly... they, descri- they describe her in the film as young and simple. Young in, and simple, In general, yeah. like in her attitude, in her exactly. understanding of the world. Yes, and she never, yeah. like her character never really challenges that assumption about herself. But it was, it was more about showing that she has elegance, mm-hmm. that she um, has this uh, wealth and simplicity in her design. But that simplicity was specifically chosen to uphold the idea that she's lonely. Mm-hmm. So she, her design to me is very starved, yeah. right? She's, I mean, because this uh, couple is so wealthy, mm-hmm. obviously everybody is going to immediately look at their clothing and say that that's the iconic choice because we know that they were custom built for them. We know that they were expensive. We know that they are right, built right. to look really good on the actors, right? right? And so, so we gravitate towards saying those are the iconic looks. Um, but I think it's really important to point out what Choi Seon said, which was that line and volume were of the utmost importance on Yungo, and that um, the idea of making her elegant but lonely yeah. was the most important goal that she had especially since the actress Jo Yo Jung is um, kind of a sex icon in Korea she's incredibly beautiful and she often is um, clothed in costumes that reflect that Mm -hmm. that reflect her physique and in this film uh, Choi Se-yeon decided specifically to uh, show a different side of her Mm -hmm. so her design for me like I said feels incredibly starved there is a lack of detail it's a lot of large um, silk shapes. She wears a lot of ivory and pink. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there isn't a lot of stuff. And even jewelry. She really only wears a pair of diamond studs the entire film. And the only time she wears more than that is at the, is at the party. Right. You know, so, so I think that pointing those things out is really important. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes me think of some of the moments where we showcase those, those elements that you've pointed out. Um, when you see... Uh, the introduction of Mrs. Park when she's at her home. We see her through a window, sort of collapsed or sleeping or resting or, or maybe drugged, drug, drugged and drunk <laughs> or whatever. To what you feels, it feels to uh, definitely influenced, right? Yes. Um, as she's collapsed on this table, and it's just so depressing. Oh, you yeah. walk in, you know, oh, this beautiful house. We've climbed up hills and stairs, which have all this symbolism with these class heights, yeah. right? These yeah. differences in class. And we get to the top of the hill and we see a collapsed character. Yeah. Right. And it's it feels lonely. It's through a window. She's not it's not an attachment to other people. Yeah, it feels completely sad. disjointed. The other thing about uh Yungyo that I think we should say is that um really in the grand scheme of the film, she is also an employee of the household. Right. She right? is. Yeah, yeah. Which is I mean, I think that that idea that the wife has those very specific duties of making sure that their children are successful mm-hmm. and that is their sole priority right. and because ha- she doesn't run the household they have a housekeeper she can't cook she can't do laundry and right. and, and her husband Dongik says that specifically about it'll be her. a trash can in a week if, if yeah it's all exactly she doesn't know how to do anything. exactly yeah. and that also probably has to do with drug addiction right you know what I mean? right yes um yes. So she's, you know, she's definitely on things like that. So her place in the household is also precarious. And you can tell that through her anxiety. I think she knows that she's replaceable, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so she works very hard 
to yeah. make sure that she is not replaced. Right. Looking at this again, watching this for a second time, the dialogue just hit home so many times. Yeah. You know, these moments where you hear a line like, everyone's replaceable. It's just annoying. Yeah. It's essentially, you know, it's a little annoying, but it's not that hard to find. Yeah. Right. And you feel that. And when you look at it to the extent of the wife as well in that relationship, yeah. you start to realize, oh, wait, that's the worldview, not this household talking about their staff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the other thing we talked about this beforehand, because it was yeah. one of the things that I, I thought maybe yeah. a Western audience might misconstrue is the idea oh, that okay. the wife um, constantly calls her husband Dasung's father mm-hmm. or Dasung's dad. Yeah. And so that's just a really common Korean practice. Yeah, like and this it, is it's the not specific. For, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not specific to the dialogue of the film, which mm-hmm. I think is important for understanding. Like, so usually the people in the family refer to each other by the relationship to the youngest person in the family, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're um, their daughter Dahe, mm-hmm. they might actually call her Dasong's older sister, yeah, right? Yeah, Dasong Nuna. Yeah, they might it's call like her that. relative to as opposed to, oh, this is a thematic clue to yeah, the dynamic. No, it's not. It's not. And I think that's something that's really important in any kind of film analysis, game analysis. You know, while we are contributing our thoughts and our opinions or our guesses, we are making an effort as well to look at the intention of the creator because yeah. it's not about, oh, this is all Rubik's Cube, that everything is so... Con- it's not so complicated sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and it isn't always something to be read into. We need to make sure to understand the context yeah. of where and when this is made. Exactly. Just to digress on that just for a, a moment longer, mm-hmm. it it is possible that he left that in there to give... A Western audience that impression, honestly, because mm-hmm. I know that he changed things to be more culturally broad in the um, in the subtitles. Uh, for example, cacao talk versus WhatsApp. Oh, right, 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 right. right? Yeah, yeah, I noticed. Yeah. So and and also that she Googled something. She didn't Google something. She neighbored it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So in Korea, their like most dominant search engine is called Neighbor Neighbor. Right. And then their um, most dominant messaging app isn't WhatsApp like most of the rest of the world. Yeah. It's actually called Kakao Talk or Katok. Yeah. And so the, they changed the translation for those things to be more universal. Right. So the idea that they didn't replace, his, yeah. um, you know, Dasong's father with Dongik in the subtitles that might actually have been on purpose to give that sense it's just that for the the um korean audience it wouldn't necessarily mean anything different so okay so let's let's actually talk about let's talk about costumes specific yeah what are some of the iconic looks for you um in the film okay so i think like one of the most dramatic ones i think is at the birthday party Mm -hmm. between mr park and driver kim Yes. And they're wearing their Indian headdresses in this play acting of, you know, oh, we're going to attack Jessica and it's going to be this big fight between the Indians. And He's going to be a good Indian. Is, oh, it's a good Indian. It's, it's all this little, this little play acting. There are so many levels to this appropriation themes here and yeah. how, how the director is intending that to function. Uh, some of the things that he had talked about was his choice to make the elite's understanding of Native Americans, essentially Amazon.com, right? Yeah. Oh, like, for sure. what could I buy from the U.S. if it's the best quality item of the theme, then that represents the culture. That represents right? the truth. 
the average Native American didn't wear those full right. chieftain it headdresses. Isn't a, or it isn't a like Native that. American. It's not even close to it. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. not even close to it. And so um, the idea that they're hiding behind a bush and they're saying, okay, we're going to make up this, this, you know, little story. It's light and airy. Right. He's going to get to save the girl from, you know, these two big bad warriors. Right, right. And Daswan gets to be, quote unquote, the good Indian. Right, right. Right. I actually noticed that with Daswan, um, a lot of his costumes were like the quintessential boyhood American dream. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, he was he boy was adventure, boy scout ish exactly. kind of persona. Dinosaur yeah. pajamas. Uh-huh. Like who, right, right. what little boy in the US didn't want dinosaur pajamas exactly. when they were a kid. Yeah. And then the first time we go inside the house with all of these images of play as violence. Mm-hmm. Like where we see all of the arrows everywhere and he's mm-hmm. running around, mm-hmm. you know, saying um uh, you know, warrior calls, like these very um uh, these very general warrior calls. Right. And he's pretending to shoot at uh, Mungwan, for example, and she's getting mad at him and pulling all of these symbols of violence down. Right. But he sees violence as a form of play. Right. Right. And his parents are happy that he's using violence as a form of play. And then they re- they reinforce it at the end during that party. Right. And then when real violence happens, right. you can see that the upper class family, which, by the way, we don't see Dasung at all. In that party. The party is actually not about him at all. No, right. It's about the mother feeling good about herself. Right. And he when you do see him in that like in the midst of that chaos, she's holding him, but his face is facing exactly it's about her. Exactly. We never see him enjoy the party. Yeah. It was never his idea to have the party. Yeah. As far as he was concerned, his birthday party was the night before getting to hang out in his teepee. Right, right. Right. And so so it was this very like the this whole party was incredibly selfish. It wasn't children party time. No, there was an yeah. opera singer there. Like right, one of their right. friends was singing opera. <laughs> I love that. It opens with the opera singer. You're like, yes, classic boys. Yeah, he totally. Birthday party. Mm-hmm, that's totally what he's all about. So so this idea of like um, living your life and entertaining yourself at the expense of your children is what's right, going on. Right. So really the parents, Mr. and Mrs. Park, they like honestly by the end of the film it feels as if they're the parasites yes, right yes. and particularly since um, he immediately yells at Mr. Kim to throw him the keys even though it's obvious they're not dying no one no one, no else, one else is, is in dying. danger that's the thing like really but only yeah Gijung or that, um, Jessica that is, is the such, only one dying that is such an impact that moment where you look at these people and they're like frantically give me the keys give me the keys and everybody's running away oh my goodness give me the keys for goodness sakes, you could run away. Yeah. There, you don't need the keys to get exactly. away. And aren't all these people, if they have keys, do you, do you just go Can't with them? just go with them? No, you need to get the keys despite the fact that any one of these people could be calling for an ambulance or exactly. holding down the wound and, or exactly. trying to suppress this evil person that's mm-hmm. attacking. But like, he's, he's already dead. By that time, Gunsei yeah. is already gone right. because the amazing Mrs. Kim the, our Kim Olympian of yeah. all everything. Yeah. She skewered him, right? Our, our Ramdon cooking. Exactly. <laughs> Ramdon. Oh my gosh. Ramdon. Did they tell you? <laughs> Suyang totally made that the other night oh my God. with sirloin. I was like, Amy. oh my God. Amy. <sighs> Fine. I, I mean, know, you it's even, such a meme. I love that moment where, where they, they have her cook that. She cooks it as fast as she can and she says, oh, you how, how'd you cook the, the meat? She, oh, medium well done. You're like, this lady... Mm-hmm. is in freaking command. She is so good. 
and her daughter had inherited it, which yes. is also amazing. But yes. okay, so yes. so let's get back to costumes. Costumes. Okay, so costumes. Speaking of her daughter, that was another moment that um, I wanted to bring up was. Uh, you were talking about the quality of the material, some of their outfits, you know, kind of being able to suss out that the quality of their suit might be, you know, mm-hmm. a polyester blend or something that wouldn't be such a high quality, right? Yeah. Um, despite the fact that she is in that same limitation as well, Jessica, the daughter, mm-hmm. she counters it with a command that disallows people from looking at her long enough to realize that. Yeah. They're so focused on her face because she just owns it. Yeah, right? she really does. She dominates them. The the when when the mother is saying, I want to come to the lesson, I'd like to kind of shadow so I can feel it out. You know, she wants to feel safe and everything, yeah. of course. But but it's completely shut down. No, that's not how I do it. That's not what's gonna happen. You're gonna stay here and I'm gonna go there. Yeah. And you look at that and and it's made in different comments throughout the film where, you know, you you seem like you fit in here already a little bit more than everyone oh, else. Yeah. And it's it be it's because while she is limited by her fashion, mm-hmm. she owns the presence of how she carries herself with it so much that people look at her eyes more than they look more down. Than her clothing. Well, she also assumes the um, the sort of uh, um, stereotype, right. the archetype of an artist or an intellectual. She dyes her hair, cuts it down, yeah. makes it a little bit more dramatic. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And she also she also wears um, no brands, mm-hmm. mostly if not all black at the beginning, especially yes. that first yes. day she wears right. all black. Yes. Um, things that don't really touch her form mm. and therefore her all of her worth is then moved instead of from her body up to her head. Right. It goes and straight so up. So we immediately yes. exactly. So we immediately associate her with that. That's a I think that that's a really common mm. designer trick for ourselves when we walk into a room <laughs> with a director. That sounds I sound this sounds familiar as yeah. I describe this redhead. I that's exactly what I did <laughs> at the first expo I went to. How do I how do I create a sense of presence mm-hmm. in this crowd of artists? Yeah. And despite the fact that there are so many people that are artistic and they playful, they're playful in their costumes and their fashion, a lot of times at these expos are very conservative in what they wear. It's a lot of hoodies yeah. and pants. And I dyed my hair red and mm-hmm. I wore a dramatic black and white jacket. Yep. And it was like, okay, I know that they're going to be paying attention in a different way. It yeah. is a very like black and white and red mm-hmm. focus yeah. control. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. And then in... In the case of Jessica, she really she really commanded control by saying, my body is of no concern. You're interested in my intellect, yeah. and therefore I'm going to dress for that. So she had no brands. There were no details. It was all just these these very um, elegant lines and volume that, that sort of uh, enveloped her shape rather yeah. than emphasizing her shape. And so, so you know, she really, she really took on like this um, very classic intellectual style mm-hmm. um, for that. And then the other thing that happens with the Kim family, and I, I don't have a lot of like, um, there. I have events for them that I think are really important for costume. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have iconic looks for the film, which was an interesting revelation for me to say there are these iconic moments that happen but the costume that happens within it isn't necessarily the iconic thing it's true yeah 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 yeah. so there are two things that i thought were really powerful the first one was that and and they kind of go hand in hand so Mm. when we see the family in their private space and their their um sub 
sub-basement apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what we see is is them in all of those disparate pieces, like I said before, the patterns and the colors that don't make sense, these sort of um, ill-fitted things or things that have, right. they're timey-wimey, like yeah. I like to say. They don't, yeah. they're not, they're not part of fashion. They're part of utility yeah. for the working class. And then um, when we see them as a family in their private time in the big house, we see that their palette, even though they're wearing the same like lounging clothes, they have a lot of the same silhouettes that they did at the beginning, but the quality of their fabrics is actually higher. Mm -hmm. So they aren't wearing disparate colors or patterns. Mm -hmm. They're all in flat uh, fabrics and neutrals, a lot of gray and navy blue. And so we see that their their sense of personal time and space, they're starting to think better of themselves than they had before. Mm-hmm. Like their clothing feels like they actually went to a store and bought it rather than buying it from a vendor on the street, for right, example. Right. There's a big difference there, I think. Yeah. So that was that was one thing. Mm-hmm. And then when the family comes home mm-hmm. and they all have to scurry yeah. in order to get things done, yeah. um, even though they've been inside of this beautiful home, the whole time they haven't gone outside at all and even if they have gone downstairs into the basement um, the entire house is immaculate right Right. but when mr kim is crawling away you can still see that his feet are terribly dirty right so even though they are playing as this you know group of people that belong there they're fantasizing Mm -hmm. that they belong there that maybe they could have some more economic wealth Mm -hmm. and be better off than they were you know that this is actually working out they're um still below the surface they're they're still working class they're still living in that sub basement apartment they're still right. going to get exterminated or fumigated right, right? it's just a matter of time yeah. and then the flood happens they end up in this gym um, and then you see the next morning when they're all called into work they have to act like nothing happened mm-hmm. but also mr kim has to pick clothing out from all of those that mountain of yes, clothing exactly of I was thinking, clothing. I, that's the first thought that comes to my mind when i see him the you know you see the shot where they're walking to the grocery store and you go he had to find that yeah. in the like clothing melee that was yes. happening and yeah. you can tell that his shirt is a little too big for him mm. right but he did a pretty good job with it and then it's after that that um mrs park yeah smells him yeah. in the car and so so we had first the husband saying, haven't you ever smelled it? it, it yeah. That crosses the line or whatever. Yeah. And then he smells his own clothing and, and he can't tell what it is. And then the next time it happens, it's not of any fault of their own. It's literally because they were displaced from a natural disaster, right? right? That, that the upper class doesn't even know about or, or acknowledge that that happened right. at all. Right. Like even even if it like happened in the news or anything it's so completely separate from their world that it's not even in their news it's not in their consciousness at all that that happened even though that would have been a huge story in seoul if that were to happen for real yeah and so the idea that they're completely isolated and insulated from that i should say um and then and then he she can still smell it on him Mm -hmm. then it's not a question of him having a smell it's a question of his class having a smell that actually makes me think of this dialogue line where where they're talking about the smells after it's noted and it's when dasong points it out he goes oh she smells the same as he smells like it's kind of a passing thing and their kids little you know eccentric little kids so it's not too crazily focused on Mm -hmm. but again all these costume points are pointed out right yeah they come home 
and they're in their semi-basement, the Kim family, and they're saying, do we need to change our soaps? Do we all have to use a different soap now so that we don't smell the same? And the daughter says, it's not the soap. It's the semi-basement smell. Yeah. Like, it's the class, not yeah, the exactly. soap. Exactly. And it makes you wonder what they smell like. Do they smell like the fumigator? Do they smell like the guy right. that pissed on their window? Right. Do, like what, what, what is, is that it? amalgamation it, of class smell? Yes. And yeah. it gives you this this experience, this aural experience mm-hmm. of, of trying to figure out what exactly it is. Like I think it's very hard for a film to capitalize on all of your senses. Right. And this one definitely does it. You know, yeah. you can't smell a film for real, but in this one, you wish that you could figure out what's going on. Right. Um, so, so those are the two moments in the film that I thought were really, um, really important for costume mm-hmm. because of how it plays into the senses. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Moon Guan. Mm-hmm. So Moon Guan, um, which is the, the housekeeper that had been with the architect yeah. beforehand. Yeah. So for her, I thought one of the really ingenious uh, designs for her. So first off, she starts off very proper. Mm-hmm. And she wears all suits that are a flat color. They're all a worsted wool, so they are of good quality. She is wearing silk right. and crepe and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, she wears a lot of like these dusty browns and um, warm or French gray. Mm-hmm. And it's very beautiful, very well tailored. She looks as if she's almost... You know, she's not of their class, but she's definitely worthy of their class. You know what I mean? And so um, when she's leaving the house after she's been uh, fired, Mm. her her tabard vest is open and the wind is picking up her neck scarf, Mm. um, the the blouse's neck scarf. Right, right. And then um, and that's the moment when we think of the Kim family as the antagonist. Right. But then when she returns to feed her husband and of course, Bong Juno has said several times, and this is going to be in the HBO special, too, that each of these characters has a life outside of the final film, which is part of why it's so successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so she comes back and she's been beaten up a little bit. Her lip is busted and she's frantic right. and she has her giant glasses. And now they're like frosting over like yeah. like um, like binoculars or something. Yeah. Very voyeuristic, you know, in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so when she comes back, she's wearing this black trench and she's totally covered up. But then she has this silk scarf on. When you see her put her hood back, that looks as if it's it's um, sort of like blood spattered skin almost. Oh, it's like a yeah. it's a paisley yeah it's yeah. a paisley print on a silk scarf and it's dark red and tan. Yeah, and so it almost perfectly blends into her skin tone when she's wearing it, and it it feels very much like she has been terribly wounded by being ousted from the house that mm-hmm. that they really did some shit to her mm-hmm. you know by by doing that and probably yeah. you know i'm assuming that like um the debt collectors or the loan sharks right. had found her and were right. bugging her for her next payment like that kind of thing yeah and so when she comes back and she's so desperate and and chung suk the um mrs kim yeah. isn't uh treating her well you you feel absolutely terrible and you you see the um all of the uh, what would you call it? All of the abuse that she's gone on through that scarf's colors, like it, it emphasizes that she's been injured, and um, then suddenly she switches on a dime like a desperate dog, right? right? And right. so then you see all of this stuff happen with Gunsei, and it turns into this like horrible nightmarish thriller kind of feeling, and right. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that 
mm-hmm. that costume arc. That's a beautiful detail. Yeah. yeah. I love that costume arc so much. And it's such a subtle detail. It's just yeah. a single scarf that really makes or breaks it for me. Mm-hmm. One that I would want to point out that I, that I found in an interview with the director, uh, the pajamas, the parks wear. When you see them come back from the camping trip and they're getting ready to go to bed and they all change into these pajamas. And that relative to the Kim family who are wearing and sleeping and living in the same clothing throughout the day. And that being kind yeah. of a, a signifier of wealth that that you would be able to, say, buy new pajamas that are these they're pristine. They're beautiful. They look silky mm-hmm. and comfortable. And the color is just really, really saturated and deep. Mm hmm. Like, I, that probably hasn't been cleaned very many times. It's not worn through. Yeah. This is fresh. And it was steamed because it doesn't have any right. and <laughs> lines Right. In it. So then you think, okay, these are probably bought together. They're probably bought at the same time. I have those written down as something, too, because those pajamas, for me, this gray satin silk, they mm-hmm. um, I don't think that they're charmeuse, but they're they're real close. Mm-hmm. They're like a two-ply charmeuse or something like that. Um, so these uh, pajamas, they're... They're kind of the pinnacle of this, like, 1950s perfect family, perfect right. nuclear family. It could be an illustration right yeah. now. They're so coordinated. Exactly. and Coordinated, yeah. beautiful. But it shows the idea that these people are still um, still presenting themselves, mm-hmm. even if it's the middle of the night, even if they're in their private space, they're presenting mm. themselves. Yeah. And then it also does double work because then when they have the um, the sex scene on the, the couch yeah. and the family is underneath the table and you hear, you know, Yeonggyo talks about, um, buy me drugs, buy me drugs. Right. And then Dongik says, put on those panties, it'll get me really hard. Like yeah. those kinds of things in those perfect, pristine you know, presentation-worthy pajamas where right. we've seen all of the kind of nitty-gritty stuff yeah. happen from the the Kim family, not yeah. from the Park family so far. Right. So this is this is kind of the moment where we see that modest, um, those clean shapes, that presentation-worthy yeah. palette, all that stuff gets twisted and warped to the point where, like, they're not – they're honestly they're not doing anything wrong right plenty of people have relationships like that where you know your fetish you do you it doesn't really matter no one's going to judge you on it it's in your private space and whatever but because it happened in that palette that we had associated with cleanliness modesty like this public persona um those you know clean lines and everything Mm -hmm. else and and it's a private act that's happening in the presence of other people we're we're not judging the Kim family yeah. for being under the table and being voyeurs and using their home. Yeah. We're judging the parks yeah. for being, you know, grotesque or twisted or, you know, whatever right. it is they're, that they're perverting. Right. This this persona exactly. that, we, you know, we bring this to the surface for social circumstances. But if if they never have that private space, because that's what it does. It doesn't feel like that because they're always in public with each other. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so when they're doing that, they're breaking the rules of convention. You know, they're, right. they're breaking the idea that these kinds of clothes, yeah. um, these sorts of lines and the lack of pattern and like that kind of thing represents, you know, our sort of public persona. Right. We're breaking the rules and we're doing something that has a perversion to it. Yeah. Um, then we're actually more shocked yeah. by the parks than we ever were by any of the Kims' well, actions. And that's, that's like a really good point. When you see the Kims at work doing their jobs, they do their jobs. 
Exactly. They don't. We don't see shots of them. Okay, well, I'm the driver, but while he's gone, I drive the car around, pick up some girls, make myself feel great, and then come yeah, back, exactly. and then oh, it's never, it never exactly. happened. I, I broke all the rules of my position. They are constantly while they're at work, they're working, and you know whether Jessica's art therapy is just to spend time with this kid and kind of keep him controlled for a period yeah, of time. Yeah, she's still doing a big part of the job anyway. Right. She's st- they're doing the job. Yeah. They check in, they check out. But let's be honest, Kevin Kevin's, is just snogging Kevin's, the daughter. Kevin's not. <laughs> but I mean, he's a teenage boy. Right. I mean, so, it's not like it's not like Dahe is like really uh, making da- that mm-mm. a focus. <laughs> Dahe is not interested in her in her work. And you know, there's some uh, interesting uh, theories actually in Korean. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they've surfaced surfaced in the US or not, but yeah. the idea that you know the the this is kind of a digression, but mm-hmm. the um the wife Yeonggyo, um uh, the mother Mrs. Park, she when Kevin is hired she says, um, Dahe and I were really satisfied mm. with the previous tutor. Mm-hmm. And so there's some question of whether or not the previous tutor had actually been um, courting both of them, both the wife, <laughs> both the mother and oh, the daughter. Oh, that word play is actually like a... Like a, a yeah, a, exactly. An and that's yeah. also why... She's lovely. Why, yeah. Well, and also, like, him. if you... If he, if you were in Korea and on the first day that you were tutoring um, someone's daughter, if you touched their arm like that mm. and got that kind of like rise and had that sort of, you know, like passionate educational talk mm-hmm. in front of the mother, mm-hmm. like you probably would not get the job. Right. Because that that crosses a line. But but when he right. does that, the the mother gets just as excited, if not more excited than Dahe does. She gives him a tip. I'm giving you a little bit exactly. more Exactly. And then I'm, I'm going to pay you more for inflation. Right. So. Right. So there is there is an aspect of that to his job. So even even though he's not necessarily doing the job, perhaps he's doing the job that the mother and the daughter both want. He's doing the job he was hired for. He's still good at his job. He's like <laughs> the Korean version of the pool boy. They they wanted that. I mean, so tutors. Oh, I tutored gosh. for a while. Luckily, I never had anything like that happen. But I have Did heard stories. Did you ever stories. touch their hands and tell them <laughs> you have to keep never look back? It's all about the momentum. No, no. Um, I went trick or treating a lot. Um, I rode I rode the public bus in a black cat costume, and nobody <laughs> understood what was going on, and they had to explain in Korean. That it was Halloween, and I promised I wouldn't try and scare them like a lot of jerks do. You know, like a lot of foreigners will go to the subway stations right. there, and then they'll, like, make... jump at people and be stupid. Yeah, And yeah. I was like, I promise I'm not going to do that. I'm just a tutor. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this old lady. Anyway. Okay, um, so I have one, one more thing yes. I want to point out before I forget, because this is something that I almost forgot, because once you really digest a film, you realize it's an illusion. Um, oh. At the very end where... Um, and you know, it's it's clear when I bring it up, but uh, at the very end, when um, in his English name Kevin is oh. is writing his letter to yeah. his dad, and and this is something that my husband actually had to point out to me because at first glance I was just kind of following the film, and I was so caught up in the momentum that Kevin was telling me about. I just never look back and don't doubt, right? Yeah. Um, as you know, he he interprets this Morse code message from his dad to figure out what's going mm-hmm. on, and then he writes him a Morse code message back. To tell him, like, don't worry, I'm going to save up, I'm going to get rich, I'm going to have a university job, I'm going to get married. And you see the... the And I'm going to buy the house. I'm going to buy the house. Yeah. And when I buy the house, you can come out and we'll be together in the sun and it'll be wonderful. Exactly, yeah. 
And it took me a second to realize that there's real no plausible way for the Morse code to go the other way. That, exactly. And that's what my husband had to point out. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, the end is just a pipe dream. But right. that, that has been true for Kevin the entire time. Right. Because he says, okay, if we're, if we're you know, um, uh, fantasizing here uh, right. when Dahe and I get married. And then he talks about it as if, as if it's actually going to happen. It's like, and now what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have to hire some actors. And he's, already, and he's already planning. And, yeah. And yeah. they're already situating themselves into that environment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Instead of saying... I would have to hire actors. He says, I will hire actors, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That's really deliberate. It's actually really um, the difference in Korean grammar. It's actually not that different in Korean grammar. It would be said the same. But the fact right. that in, in the English subtitles, they made the choice to do that. So that was definitely done on purpose. Um, the other thing about that, though, is the rock, mm-hmm. right? The, mm-hmm. the stone constantly gives them the opportunity to have all that wealth and whatever and whatever right right like the family could have continued you know it's really tragic at the end um with like uh gi jung or jessica dying and then um gi or uh um kevin uh you know having such a terrible brain trauma but like all of that stuff it i think that if they had reacted differently i think that the entire all of them could have survived and then continued to work with that family and would have been so tight-knit they never would have been let go right and they would have essentially lived in the house exactly yeah exactly and then they you know they would have achieved this like um this economic mobility that they were yearning for but that stone really represents the idea yes it brings fortune into your family to have a scholar's stone like that but the way that it was used in the film was as First off, it was used as a weapon, but also as like it was almost like an arrow marker of what you needed to do next in order to um, in order to secure your future. And a lot of that securing your future was stepping on the person who was standing next to you. Right. And so using using the stone to go after the guy who's peeing on the wall now. And, you know, he he switches it. But that's that's the idea. Right. Exactly. Or going down into the basement as as Kevin. Uh, with the stone, the stone falls down the stairs, and then he ends up going down anyway. I would have right. been like, ah, and right. run the opposite direction. Right. But the stone is telling him, if you want to continue to live this life, you have to kill Gunsei. I think right. that's what the stone was trying to tell him. Right. Well, and you look at the costume though, and you look in that in that illusion, in that imagined future, right? Mm-hmm. And you look at Kevin wearing that outfit. Yeah. And you start to see this, oh, this idealized version, this upper class version of Kevin. You actually get to see upper class version. Yes. Of Kevin. Yes. And and it then even reinforces to me the whole concept that this persona is an illusion, that all he had to do was have cash and that look. Yeah. And he would be accepted into that class. And he would have absolutely been accepted. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about presentation. So, yeah. In in conclusion, I would say um, that the costume design for me it was so incredibly subtle and so so deeply entrenched in what it means to be a modern Korean and to have economic mobility in Korea mm-hmm. and and what it's like to try and hide your class. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what you're saying just a moment ago about uh, about Kevin when he's um, when we see that 
like version of himself buying the house and he's imagining this future which there's no way he yeah. can especially you know, when that you house look at is his 20 million dollars yeah he, he's not no that way. many years older than when he's no. writing the letter right no yeah. there's yeah. no way so with all of that you know like that upper class persona and his fantasy and everything else really shows how that uh, economic ladder can be disguised and not disguised and literally mm-hmm. when we think of Kevin as he actually is versus that fantastical Kevin mm-hmm. we we can smell the difference yeah on screen right yeah yeah because that that whole thing about their scent and, and changing their shampoos and what they smell like and, and like a boiled rag and all mm-hmm. that stuff mm-hmm. when you look at him in that fantasy and you look at his mother in that fantasy they don't appear as if they would have a smell. Their hair is so poofy. It's not possible. It's so poofy. They're just too immaculate to have a smell, you know. Yeah. And and also their skin has color to it. It's not as ashen as it was. Like mm. I think that I think that the makeup design for this also probably played a really important role in whether or not we thought that they smelled because there was, you know, their faces were oily. They were kept shiny in some places. There's a lot of textural. They're, yeah, it was yeah. very textural by comparison to the upper class. But that you know that's another podcast. Someone else can talk about that. Um, we don't got time. Well, the texture, the texture helps reinforce the smell because it exactly. gives us something, something to grab to. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that it's a very difficult film to analyze mm-hmm. if you don't have that cultural background to to lean on to help you see some of those things. And as a result, um, the costume design in Parasite has been kind of downplayed mm-hmm. or hasn't been spoken about very much because it just. It, it supports the story so much. It never steals the show. Mm-hmm. It always um, it always puts front and center the idea of economics and class, yeah. right? Which which we we always so much we always say that designing for character, designing for individual choices and in contemporary is so important. Right. In the case of this one, it was designing specifically for class that was the most important. Yeah. And I think that Trey on the designer. I think she really got that, and as a result, her design is tragically overlooked. Because yeah. um, I, I think that this was a very smart design after really getting into it. Yeah. But it it took me two or three viewings to really get it. And yeah. and I'm a you know I work in Korea all the time. You're like, like I'm watching this job. film, hearing it in Korean, and looking at subtitles. <laughs> yes, and reading interviews in Korean. Like <laughs> right, I, right, right. You know, it it took a lot of digging to really suss out to figure out how the costumes fit in yeah so your critique is on the lack of critique i think i think that i think that my critique is is on myself actually (laughs) (laughs) because because it it just took such it took such a herculean effort to try and find a way to talk about it yeah. Right. Because there aren't resources in English available as much. That's one of the right. things that we're going to have a difficult time with in doing our international stuff. Like, luckily, yeah. you know, Young and I can go and look for stuff in Korean and, and we're fine. And, you know, we, mm-hmm. we understand the culture very well, I think. Well, I hope, you know, fingers crossed. Oh, my gosh, I'm shooting myself in the foot. Uh, I think that even for me, yeah. <laughs> putting on my ego hat, it was difficult to find. Yeah. And to be able to talk about, and it, it was a real exercise mm-hmm. in digging and doing research and watching yeah. again and again. And 
Um, I'm really glad that we did this one, even though at first I was like, well, shit, what am I going to talk about? There's <laughs> not a single costume in this film that I feel like is iconic. I mean, my, my first note, the first sentence I wrote is, honestly, I didn't notice the costumes in this film as I'm yeah. watching it. Yes. But, you know, <laughs> I think that that was important. Like the whole point was to show yeah. their class differences. And that was the glaring thing that she needed to design for. And she did yeah. a brilliant job at it. Yeah. You know, it's it's I. This is one of those things that contemporary costume design, like I said during the Big Lebowski thing, we end up running into a roadblock with contemporary costume design because we're not always designing for the artistic frame, Mm -hmm. right? And in period film or period projects in general, Mm -hmm. we're often designing for an artistic frame. We're thinking of the film as a painting a lot of the time because a lot of our references for the past are paintings. We're thinking of it in that frame rather than um, rather than as individual character studies and things like that. It's, it's just a much different approach to how you design and how it's critiqued and how it's seen and, and judged. Mm-hmm. And with a film like this, that is just, it's going to be such an important film. Mm. Like, I, I have no idea how far reaching it's going to be, but it's broken every expectation. Yeah. And experience you don't watch this film you experience this film right Right, it takes you for a ride and so so saying that that's all that there is to it and then because we didn't notice the costumes at the beginning that they aren't as important that they aren't going to last as long I think is I think is a real mistake right so I'm I'm really glad that we did this one because it's so hard to get into um but it was it was very worth it I think I think so too I mean uh... I was trying to find a way into this film, mm-hmm. and I found it through the dialogue. Sure, yeah. I think that's why I started to realize that they were pointing out mm-hmm. moments that were important about the costume. Yeah. And I mean, and that was like the most significant. For sure. Yeah. I, for me, the big difference for this, and it, I have to think about um, – you know, specific defining ways of thinking about different kinds of design. Yes. And for me, the Big Lebowski, when we looked at that, yeah. the Big Lebowski is for sure a capsule design where each character mm-hmm. that we looked at embodies a heightened type of persona mm-hmm. that we see in real world America, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Especially during that period, like um, Vietnam vets and, right. and uh, hippies off of Venice Beach and, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Like we yeah. see those actual people and this is a heightened version or a distilled version sure. of what those people are. And their characters don't really change all that much, right? They don't change their economic status. They don't change their motives. They don't, like, none of that stuff changes. So it's a capsule design. Mm -hmm. But with Parasite, I think of this as an amazing example of ensemble design. I was going to say, it does feel more of, like, a group-oriented idea. Exactly. Like, this is the lower-class orientation. This is the upper-class orientation. And, And in that, there is, it's complicated to see the nuance in the moment exactly but once you start to see them as this broader idea yeah and say okay this is connected to the group that's where i started to say okay okay now i can see this feeling of um desire for support so then you ingratiate yourself okay so as a group you need to ingratiate yourself it can become parasitic if you do it in this way exactly it becomes these broader ideas that i was resistant to because i felt so involved with the individuals yeah i mean that's the that's the thing that makes it so hard is that we we think of contemporary design as being very much um 
character driven, mm-hmm. right? We think of we think of contemporary costume design as having to put a premium on individual characters, but right. that's also a very American point of view. The idea that the individual is more important than the group. This right. parasite is a really great example of the group being more important than the individuals, really, right. right? And what their struggles are within that group, like how are they getting ahead or or anything like that, right. and um, so. So I think I think that the the point of view of the designer and of the creator, of course, was drastically different than it would have been if it were an American made film. Which I think yeah. if it were an American made film, people would have been far more individualistic, right. that they would have had much louder wealth. And I don't right. think it would have worked for this film to happen. No, because the quirkiness of having those the variety within such a tight, sort of coordinated like a heist film version of like manipulating yeah. into this stuff. They're the teamwork required. Yeah. It's like, well, are you going to make a teamwork heist movie or are you going to make individual family members? Like, uh, it works in the cultural context of Korea exactly. because it doesn't, it isn't a departure from an ideology that makes sense. No. Yeah. yeah so I think what I am discovering um and this is this is so heady. I'm so sorry. I can see you guys. in the moment she's got her hands on the table, like I trying do. to abstractly it's draw like a this playing out. Piano. <laughs> it's like a moving puzzle pieces around with my it, fingers. I'm, I'm holding it with the threads together. <laughs> so, so I think that in period film, mm-hmm. we often design for a couple of individuals at the top of the narrative, mm-hmm. right? Our number one through number fours, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, when when we're working in film, we give each actor um, or character, we give each character a number based on how many lines or how many scenes they show up in in the script. So your number one is your leading actor. Number two is your leading, you know, whoever, three, four, your supporting actors, et cetera, et cetera, is usually how it breaks down. Mm-hmm. So so if you're, you know, number one through six on the call sheet, perhaps that that might be the group in period film that you design the most um, character-driven stuff for, and everyone else is kind of ensemble design. So right. there's this different there's a different approach to that compared to something like contemporary, where you're looking at a lot of individuals, mm-hmm. and then you're trying to make all of the background just look like like set dressing. The two of them feel very different to me. So so what Parasite feels like to me is when I have to tackle period design Mm -hmm. I'm often looking at the group as a whole to figure out um, what kinds of colors this particular group wears or what silhouettes this particular group wears what kinds of fabrics this particular group wears whereas when I'm designing in contemporary I'm often looking at individuals and I'm making individual choices rather than looking at the ensemble first Mm -hmm. and so this is a really really good lesson for me on seeing that sort of ensemble approach that I take to period often, mm-hmm. um, that ensemble approach in a contemporary setting can be so powerful if it's the right kind of narrative. It's actually one of the reasons I, I'm really worried about the HBO special, to be honest. Cause, mm. And I know that Bong Joon-ho is going to be involved in it, yeah. but I also know that the cast is not necessarily Korean. Right. Um, and so I'm I'm a little concerned about the translation of this incredible story into this larger thing that's not intrinsically com- Korean to me because mm-hmm. the parasite is so intertwined in the problems that Seoul has, mm-hmm. um, and I I just can't separate it yet. So right. I'm apprehensive. And, right, without it being I mean, uh, to to be hopeful. Yeah. Um, if if they were to take 
the concept mm-hmm. and then translate it into, okay, we're making a completely different story. You'd have to read, then it, you'd have to just be okay. make a new story inspired yeah. by Parasite. Yeah. If it's Parasite interpreted through American means, it doesn't yeah, have the know. same, it doesn't have the same uh, audience context. Yeah. Because we don't, don't see know. things we'll like see. that. We don't see groups mm-hmm. in that same way in, in American culture. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. It could be really good. I hope so. I always hope everything is great. That's my hope. (laughs) You are the constant optimist. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find it. We're gonna watch that show, and I'm gonna be like, okay, so let me make, let me find find a a reason why it's great. (laughs) We're gonna, it's a learning opportunity, is what it is, guys. Just blinking at you, just (laughs) really, really. No, we'll, we'll see. No, you know, I have, I have the highest hope for them, Mm -hmm. but I am apprehensive. Yeah. Um, so, in any case, uh, I think that's it yeah, for yeah. Parasite. Yeah.